This is Broadway Bullet, Volume 804, Pushing Forward, for August 29th, 2017. Visit us at broadwaybullet.com and subscribe on broadwaybullet.com or at iTunes for free and don't miss a single episode. Center hit another one out of the park this past season with Oslo, and Daniel Jenkins stops by to tell us all about it. Danielle Trzinski is a part of the creative team that wants women all over the U.S. to put on their little black dress and come see Little Black Dress. Ken Davenport updates us on his current projects, including the upcoming revival of Once on this Island, and we hear two songs from composer Bobby Cronin. So get comfortable. your host Michael Gilbo with the newest episode of Broadway Bullet and I have got to say the theater scene in New York as big as it is is really so small and this episode just feels a lot like that to me. Uh, Daniel Jenkins who uh, received a Tony nomination for playing the original Huck Finn in Big River uh, it was one of my favorite musicals and I got a chance to interview him and uh, since then, I ran into him on the street several times. We became good friends, came in, did more interviews later. And, uh, you know, so this is a guy that just I keep bumping into and I really like. And he's got a lot of great new stories to tell, including, well, not great, but how he dealt with the problem of losing his voice uh, and how it affected his career and how he got that back on track. Also, uh, Ken Davenport is somebody who has just kept climbing the ranks. Um, quite prominent Broadway producer. He was in the very first season when he was producing uh, Alter Boys uh, for Nymph and getting ready to produce it off-Broadway. And Daniel Trzinski, great person, wonderful interviewer. I just met her because uh, she was hanging out in the room at Dramatist Guild Fund. And we just got to chatting and she talked about how she was looking for a different angle and a way to get out her writing and performing with Little Black Dress. Um, I just thought, well, we got to get this out because like all this stuff ties into the things I try to teach at our brand new program, Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. And uh, you learn the art of being an artist and the business of being an artist. So check us out. Um, you can get a hold of me. There's contact information for me at broadwaybullet.com or you can go to uprovidence.edu. Um, we'd love to see you if you're a senior or looking to go to school. Uh, we'd love to see you next fall at the school. And uh, I bring a student with me now uh, every time I come. So who knows? Maybe you can come along and work on Broadway Bullet. Before we get started, here's a word from, again, our great friends at the Dramatist Guild Fund. Special thanks to our location sponsor. 
Thanks to the Dramatist Guild Fund for welcoming us to their space for today's podcast. Providing the music hall at DGF for writers to use for free is one of the many ways the Dramatist Guild Fund supports writers. I encourage you to find out more about DGF by visiting their website at www.dgffund.org or connecting with them on Twitter at DGFund. Up close. All right, I am back here talking with uh, my friend Daniel Jenkins, uh, who uh, has been just wonderful. Uh, for those who don't know, he was original Huckleberry Finn, in addition to many other Broadway roles. But uh, as, as that show, and when he first came on, was one of my favorite shows. It was very exciting. Uh, since then, I've talked with him about several shows he's been involved with. Uh, when I brought our students out to uh, perform at the New York Musical Theater Festival, he did a wonderful workshop for our students. And that was now so he's riding high again with a role in the second highest amount of Tony nominations for a play on Broadway this year, Oslo at the Lincoln Center. How are you doing, Daniel well, Jenkins? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Got a great gig. It's The sun is out in New York City, so we're all much happier. It's <laughs> so wet and rainy here, so thankful for a beautiful day. Thankful to be here with you. So, uh, yeah. Fellow Huck. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on these whirlwind trips. Um, well, I haven't had a chance to see Oslo because the, the, even the press tickets are so hard to get because yeah. of how hot it is. So first off, maybe just start a little bit. Tell me a little bit about Oslo. Tell our listeners about Oslo. Why should they try to hustle in and get a seat? And then we'll I talk would about hustle in and get things. a seat because it's actually really entertaining. Uh, it's a fascinating story that actually started on a playground. Uh, Barsher, the director, uh, has a daughter who goes to a school in New York City and had a playmate. And... Uh, they started talking, uh, the parents started talking, and it turned out that the uh, other girl's father um, was this guy, Tyrod Larson, who was a Norwegian, who happened to shepherd the peace accords between the PLO and Israel in 93. <laughs> so if, if you go back in your like pictorial memory, you might remember President Clinton standing uh, in the Rose Garden spreading his arms, and Yasser Arafat is on one side, and Yitzhak Rabin is on the other, and he's kind of like forcing them to shake hands <laughs> a little bit, and it's kind of like hilariously awkward, uh, famous photograph. That's about as much as anyone might know about this story. But the story is freaky. This Norwegian couple uh, ran a back-channel negotiation uh, between Israel and uh, Palestine uh, and uh, the PLO, and and made a, made a peace accord happen. And, you know, it's a, a remarkable kind of wild story in that sense. J.T. Rogers wrote an incredibly uh, specific and funny script. So you're, you know, not like taking your medicine. You are really enjoying the ride. And a lot of what I get to do is that stuff, which is super fun. Yeah, so, so what's your role in this? I actually play two roles I kind of don't want to tell you because oh. people don't really necessarily know it's one actor doing both because I have an amazing wig. You and, are that, and you're that amazing. And yeah, you well, take on really, I'm that amazing. That's really <laughs> why, but no, it's the wig. Um, yeah, so I play a, a Norwegian diplomat, um, Jan Egeland, who's kind of famous in the diplomatic circles. He's kind of a rock star right. diplomat uh, these days. 
uh, rocks or I mean he he deals with Syrian refugees right now so he he de deals with about the most intense stuff that you deal with on the planet um, and has for a long time um, at the UN is uh, where he is uh, but uh, yeah so he was working and is working uh, for the Norwegian uh, you know core diplomats uh, their foreign service um, so yeah he's part of this back channel uh, thing that happens and then I play an Israeli uh, negotiator professor uh, named Ron Pundak who was involved in the early stages of uh, the uh, process with uh, the PLO so yeah wildly different people how uh, long is the show going to run at the Lincoln Center a lot of times they're, they're uh, we were originally runs. scheduled for June 18 and now we've extended for two weeks so that takes us to July 2nd yeah. Any chance of that extending further with all the... You no, know, I don't know. Of it's the kind of stuff I really don't even think about or keep my nose in. I mean, everyone knows more about it than me. <laughs> every cast member, every like costumer, everyone knows more about it than me. But I like to keep it that way. It's just like, no, let me just do my job, and then they'll tell me if something's happening. <laughs> <laughs> but probably not. They have another show coming in. Uh, Junk is the name of that show coming in. Uh, so there's a little turnover happening over there. Um, so how long has Oslo been running? Has this been a we're about at the halfway point for this run, uh, including our preview performances. So I think we have another 58 performances, something like that. Um, but we ran last year off Broadway. Okay. Uh, at the smaller space downstairs. Um, I think it's more kind of sumptuous, beautiful, epic. In this bigger space, I think it actually works better in the bigger space, even though it's, you know, not as intimate as it was down downstairs. But you can really rock the space upstairs. You can just let loose. It really responds well to passion, to like big emotions and big ideas, and that's what this play is about. At Lincoln Center, you know, a prominent, you know, not-for-profit presenter. Yeah. Um, in your experience, development and putting on the show, is there a big difference that you see working with a, a nonprofit presenter versus commercial? Depends on Broadway, the, off it depends on the presenter. I mean, like Lincoln Center is occupies a kind of unique standing in that sphere. Um, they uh, they have a lot of resources and they will do whatever is necessary. You know. Oh, they're not going to go crazy, but <laughs> they'll give you pretty much all the support you need if they're supporting this play, and they are. So, you know, we did the play basically a year ago, and then we remounted it with the exact same actors, right? Which is also pretty remarkable. Yeah, schedule-wise, getting everybody. Schedule-wise. <laughs> I mean, which is why we didn't immediately transfer. It was people yeah. had stuff that lined up. Um, but it also shows that people really loved the play and really were dedicated to it because these are successful people who were, you know, doing it. And uh, they decided to come back. But, you know, Lincoln Center could have said, you know, let's just go into tech. Let's just do like a, let's just do like a, I don't know, a week of brush up mm -hmm. and go into tech. Um, no, we had, we had a full rehearsal period. We so pulled it, it again. We pulled it apart explored it, put it back together again. That was really rewarding, really fun, really useful. And also JT had to look at the script because of the bigger space and its demands, both technically and in the audience, it had to be cut. So 
you know, it used to be two intermissions, but you can't get <laughs> that, you can't get that many people to the bathroom and back. It's like yeah. hilarious, like concerns like that. Yeah. So cut an intermission eventually. You know what we do at our theater sometimes what? when our big pack shows. I call them bathroom sherpas. <laughs> we, we we have at our university. We'll get you know backstage volunteers who will literally like bring the audience members to other buildings on campus. Oh seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> That could be done here. It's like, okay, uh, 20 of you, we're going to Starbucks. <laughs> we're going to PJ Clark's, the rest of you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah so they, they had to cut a lot, but he was used to that. I mean, JT, I, I think, did a remarkable job with this. I mean, he's, he's a, a, a gifted dramatist, a, you know, a, a exacting kind of historian, but dude can write a joke. Man, it's yeah. just, it's so funny. There's, I mean, I'm like tempted to call it like a comedic political thriller. You know, <laughs> it's so, it's so entertaining. And originally, I think in workshop, it was four and a half hours. Wow. He brought in four and a half hours of material and it was all good. It was all like choice and specific and character driven and, just funny as hell. So, of course, a lot of the jokes had to go because yeah. at a certain point, you have to tell the story. You have to get to the finish line. <laughs> and uh, you can't, like, take side trips anymore. So a lot of babies were killed, as, as they say. <laughs> but it's a pretty, pretty rewarding experience, I think, for the audience. It's special, moving, super funny. Well... You yourself have been through a lot as an actor since I was last year in New York. I'm trying to remember what I was. What were we doing? What happened? Well, you were you were in the when I last came. You were doing the out of town uh, workshops or stuff on uh, Bridges of Madison County. Oh, Bridges. That was the last time I saw you. Yeah. Wow. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I was doing that. We did that at Williamstown, which was super fun. <coughs> um, did a lot of cooking. <laughs> Had the apprentices over. I think we served. 80 people once from my house, which was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I was having some vocal problems with that, so I didn't come into the city with it. I had to uh, kind of address those issues, which was interesting. I'd never, I'd never really encountered that much of an issue with my voice, but a lot of factors uh, played into that. I think I was doing Billy Elliot and... Um, had some physical stuff mm -hmm. with my body that affected uh, uh, my throat and like some uh, muscle dysphonia, they call it. So, the, mm -hmm. so you try to activate your cords and they're actually pulling apart as opposed to vibrating. Um, I think there was also some like emotional block stuff I worked on. I, you know, I just basically yeah. threw everything at it that I could because it's like, yeah, voice I kind of need for my work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so so how did you you know deal with this both mentally, physically, and tree? Because I imagine there's going to be a lot of actors out there who, at some point or another, are going to be dealing with yeah, I mean issues and that and for, that, for your line of work, I imagine that can also be rather terrifying. Yeah, anything that happens with your body, it's like, well, okay, what's going on? I got to be able to walk and talk. Those are those are the things I have to be able to do, and um, and sing in my case. Mm -hmm. uh, I had some back issues as a result of. Uh, some trauma during Billy Elliot. Um, and I was trying to address those and then kind of stumbled upon this TMS thing, which is 
uh, tension myositis syndrome is what it's called, but there's an old book from the 70s called Healing Back Pain, and it's kind of mind-body connection stuff. Don't want to get too woo-woo, yeah. but... He can get woo-woo. But, well, artists are probably listening yeah. to this podcast, you know, a lot of But them it was are, real for me. Yeah, it was real. I was doing a Sarah Rule play, and I was like, uh, you know, having trouble getting dressed in the morning. I was like, what is going on? Why am I in so much pain? And actually, Sarah herself and my friend Dominic Famusa had read this book, and Dominic brought me his old copy I think of this I've book. I've read that book, too. I've always So John packages. Sarno is the name of the doctor, and... And so I was kind of investigating that with my back, but also like, you know, I was still curious about like, what is going on with my voice and what, is there any connection there? Um, and I think there was. So I applied a lot of that work, which to me ended up journaling. There's like online resources that you can look up at TMS Wiki, which I found very useful. Um, I went out of town to do a musical. I went to Kansas City to do a Friends musical. It was really fun. A Little More Alive was the name of that. And um, I had some singing to do in that. Um, but I was out of town, and I was like, well, let me just, like, hit this really hard and, and work on it as, uh, you know, as hard as I can. And it helped a great deal. Uh, it was a lot, of, a lot of kind of emotional release stuff I thought I dealt with back in my 20s, you know. <laughs> I, I couldn't, like, pin down any kind of emotional trauma in my present life that I could like go, oh, that's, yeah. that's what it is. I did, you know, kind of did my own digging uh, emotionally about any emotional trauma. And, you know, essentially you assign physical pain to the emotional trauma if you don't release it. That's, that's the shorthand version yeah. of it. And we're taught to believe that our backs are a good repository for that. Oh, yeah, low back pain, that's a thing. <laughs> and everyone's back has got, you know, after a while, is going to get messed up. It's just like, but it heals itself just like everything else does. That's the yeah. overarching theory. And I applied that to my voice, too, you know, and, and it helped. That's the, that's the long answer to that <laughs> uh, question. But, but it was a journey. It was, it was difficult, too, because, you know, it's like, wow, why... Why, why isn't this working? You know, and tracking that down was, was uh, took a while, took some effort. Yeah, it was frustrating. Yeah, I was bummed. I was looking forward to seeing you. In, yeah, yeah. In no, it was County. it was uh, in a part that I really loved, and yeah. that was kind of written for me. And uh, uh, yeah, it was difficult. But uh, on the other side of it, I've gotten to do some amazing yeah. things. I got to do that Sarah role play. Now I'm doing another Sarah Rule play, and you know after Oslo, Sarah Rule is just on fire. She's my queen. Okay, I, I want to maybe next time I come, I've wanted to talk to her oh, for a long she's time. A great, she's a great interview. She's uh, hilarious, humble, spiritual, funny, uh, great. <laughs> she's so great. Yeah, I adore her. Yeah. So and and I've also started to like think about. A, I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, okay, what do I want? And who am I? The question that kind of came up around Bridges was like, who am I doing this for? You know, and what am I doing this for? And I got to investigate that too. And, and that's kind of informed my choices. I've been, I've been super lucky in my choices. I've been given gift after gift. But there have been times when I've, there's been forks in the road. And I've had to go like, uh, am I going to do this? No, 
I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait for something that I care about more. And I've just gotten to re-examine that as well. And so, you know, projects have either come my way or I've created projects that I am more passionate about, which is always good. So, you know, at the University of Providence where I teach, we have a program now talking about business and theater. And I'm, mm. I'm wondering, what, what business elements do you need to keep on top of to take oh care of your career? And, gosh, and I'm just the worst at the business stuff. Like a lot of artists, I'm really bad. I'm getting a little better. Um, and I think, I think it's really smart to com combine those two things because I think in the present environment, if you don't make your own work of some kind, uh, you're in trouble because there's not enough work for you out there. You know, even for me or people of my generation, it's like I'm kind of a one-trick pony. You know, I'm an actor. Um, you, not that you need more tricks, but you need to provide opportunities for yourself. Yeah. But even along that, even, even as a one-trick pony, I think, I mean, you're probably taking care of business that you don't even realize is business, is my guess. What do, you, what do you do to keep track of, do, do you work on lining stuff up for when this show is over? What, how do you plant your seeds for, you know, future roles? Are well, you doing I mean, readings? Are you doing... There's kind of like two worlds, right? There's the world of the agent and actor relationship, right? And the agent is supposed to be kind of gatekeeper, bodyguard, opportunity. Uh, uh, they don't create opportunity, but yeah. they, they uh, enable it, right? So... The opportunities come in, sh in the form of shows that already have a team, right? A producer, a director, a composer, if it's a musical, a writer. Um, so all those people, uh, if you last in this business, you might have a relationship with yeah. one of them. And one of them may request to see you. If not, the agent knows there's a show in town and here's a part that's good for you. And they submit you. Right through the casting yeah. agent, another uh, essential connection, and probably the first one that is maybe going to call you in for things. Um, so you get submitted, then you audition, and you go through the process. Uh, that is, you know, that's its own world, um, and that's how the great majority of things get cast, either through offers from the creative end, or uh, offers for auditions, or submissions through casting directors. So there's that, right? And that's the great majority for me, anyway, and has been. All right. Well, thanks so much for stopping Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Best of luck for you. And your lovely your digs here, man. This yeah, is awesome. This is, I feel like a rock star. Totally. In this room, you know? Just, uh... I have to describe it. It's like cream and beige, and we have a grand piano and a big conference table and light coming in the windows. It's pretty luxurious. Light coming in the windows. It's, it's amazing big. in New York. I know. Yeah. Sweet. All right. All right, Michael. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Hey. We just shook hands. Like, yeah. They can't hear that, but <laughs> this just happened. All right. So if you'd like to hear more with Daniel Jenkins, we have all our unedited interviews for pretty much everything from season six onward in a unedited format. You can find it at our website, broadwaybullet.com, on our show notes, and they're also in the podcast feed. So check that out. Uh, he, he has a lot of Great things, especially if you're looking to be an actor or pursuing acting, uh, you're going to pick up so many nuggets from this guy in the full unedited version. So check that out. Listening Room. 
in the listening room today, we have composer-writer Bobby Cronin. Uh, this guy has done a lot of stuff. He writes for uh, theater, short film, he has a 15-minute musical, and he's got a live album uh, called Reach for the Sky. And that is what we're going to play. By the way, he does have lots of music available on newmusicaltheater.com, a great resource if you're looking for like audition songs that everybody in the world isn't doing. So uh, in the meantime, this is Reach for the Sky, the title song from his album, and this is sung by Marcus Paul St. James. Is anything ever the way they seem? Is life just a passing of wasted dreams? I don't know. I can't tell Why the hell do I dwell On things flawlessly well Yes, I try to get by Without discovering Just a hoax or a broken dream I don't know I'm not sure Open the door What's in store Inside I know there's more So then why Do I try
That was Reach for the Sky, written by Bobby Cronin, sung by Marcus Paul St. James from his album Reach for the Sky Live. You can find that on iTunes, and you can find out more about Bobby Cronin at Bobby Cronin, that's C-R-O-N-I-N dot com. We're going to hear a little bit more from Bobby Cronin a little later on in this episode. On the Boards. I'm sitting here with Danielle Trzinski. She is one of the actors and creators of Little Black Dress, touring somewhere near you, somewhere soon. <laughs> and uh, I invited her in to come to interview when I barged in on her writing session <laughs> here at the Dramatist Guild Fund, and she looked at me like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> but luckily, uh, she has a very interesting story to tell. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Good. So happy to be here. <laughs> so tell us about Little Black Dress, which I think is an awesome title, really, especially based on what you told me you were going for. Yeah, thank you. Um, so a little bit about how this show came about is a couple years ago, I auditioned for this show called Spank, Fifty Shades of Grey parody. And I thought that this show, I booked the lead role and I thought it was going to be Black Box Theaters, eight weeks. And I was like, it's called Spank. Like, I'll be back. <laughs> and it was three years, consistently sold out 2,000 seat houses, standing ovations. I mean, I didn't even know, I didn't even know this many women existed. And like, and that was the first time I saw an audience that I didn't even know existed, which is women who go to the theater and get wasted. And just party and want to laugh and have a good time, but also see a good show. And, you know, this was the event of the year for them. So um, I'm a writer. I write uh, musical theater. And I also come from a very big comedy background, UCB and Magnet Theater. And another girl in the show, Amanda Barker, she uh, is also a, a comedian and a writer. And we both were like, we should write a show like this that's, you know, separate, not affiliated with a pre-existing commodity, and and write what we think and saw what worked and what women love. Like, they love a sexy man, so we have yeah. a very sexy man, uh, and they loved the audience interaction, so we have improv. But then also, um, for one of the, a lot of these girls' night out shows are, uh, like, they do kind of review songs of already 
you know, pre-existing songs like uh, It's Raining Men or Girls, okay. whatever these girl anthem songs are. And we were like, how awesome would it be to actually have like an original musical that... It's an original musical. musical original music, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, so that's how we created Little Black Dress. <laughs> So, um, what is the, is there some of the story you want to talk about? Yeah. Because I understand there's actually a story involved. There, it's not just <laughs> three women and a sexy man stripping. Yes, although that's originally what we thought it would just be. <laughs> originally, we were like, okay. Did you have fun auditioning sexy man stripping? Well, <laughs> you know, it's honestly, <laughs> it is so hard to find a very sexy man who can also sing, act, and be really funny and do improv. <laughs> because normally, I don't know if you like go to UCB or whatever, like there's a very, comedians are like a very yeah. specific type. And oh yeah, there's a reason guys get a sense of humor. Because <laughs> they couldn't get girls any other way. <laughs> so yeah, so I feel like you know, to have that is like the a unicorn, you know, because they're you, they are either like very sexy, and you're like okay, and then you're like let's do some improv, and they can't or they're scared or you know, or you have the complete opposite, which is like a very musical theater boy, but you know, he can't be funny, or you have the, the complete opposite. So, so anyway, we found these. We d we decided comedy trumps. Everything. And I would rather even have, like, maybe someone who's not even as sexy, mm -hmm. but hilariously stripping. Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? If clothes are coming off and you're selling it, then women are going to be screaming. Um, and we'll just add yeah, more It smoke. depends on the scream, I think, is... <laughs> scream very differently if that was me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who it is, we'll either dim the lights a little bit more... <laughs> Or offer two for one drinks. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so originally it started out as um, um, different, different times of the little black dress. Because a girl, every woman has a little black dress. And that's the great thing about the little black dress is it can be worn to anything. You can wear it to work, you can wear it on a date, you can wear it to a funeral. So we were doing these like funny sketch kind of style things happening with a song in the middle. And um, we pitched it to uh, this guy who's also a write writer, his name's Chris Bond. And uh, Chris Bond is a writer and he's a director. And he said, you know, I really think what you have here is really special and really unique, but I think it needs to be a full musical instead of a sketch show with a couple songs. And I think we should care about these girls. I mean, you set them up why not have some kind of narrative where we're following them and we're rooting for them so that when we get to the funeral, which, spoiler, there's a funeral in it. <laughs> I'm not going to say who dies, but somebody <laughs> dies. That we actually care, you know, and we care about this relationship. And that's ultimately what these women see on stage is this relationship between two friends, which is who they're going to the theater with is their girlfriends. So I really think that added value. And then... Uh, Natalie Tenenbaum, who's an amazing composer, is who wrote the music. So we're a team of four, oh, four yeah. of us. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of where, you know, that's the story of Little Black Dress. And 
you know, but part of, besides the fact that it does just sound like a great show and I think a perfect opportunity, the other reason I wanted to bring you on is, you know, because, like, our program at my University of Providence is theater and business arts. Yeah. And it sounded like you have melded this in the best way. Because ultimately I want to tell people that if you think about business from the beginning, it doesn't mean you have to stilt your art. Mm -hmm. It's more like you can figure out what do I do I mean, I think ultimately you can stay truer to yourself if you, like, look at yourself first and then how do I bring business into this rather than ultimately what I think a lot of people do is try to conform, try to do everything else to somebody else's business model and they kind of lose their artistic way in the process. Yeah, you know, I've learned, I've grown so much from this little black dress experience because I was, I think the thing is it, is, you know, there is a reason, I'm sure you've said it on yeah. this podcast, is like there's a reason they call it show business yeah. instead of show art. And I was resisting <coughs> it so much. I'm like, I'm a writer, I'm an actor. Like, mm. I don't want to do the business side. But like, if you want to get your work out there, no one is fighting for your work harder than you are. And no one is more passionate. And I think that I've learned, and someone has, this week I've been quoted alone like four different times where someone's like, you are a businesswoman. And I'm like, oh my God, I never ever thought I would say it, hear that word or want anyone to call me that. But you have to be educated to know these things because even if you're, like I started as a writer or an actor who wanted to be in a show and wrote her own show so I could be in it, got into Fringe and then all of a sudden, I didn't even realize this, you're a producer yeah. because you're casting it. Mm -hmm. You're getting rehearsal space, you're scheduling, you're marketing, you're raising funds, you're budgeting, all these things. I didn't even realize like until it was over that I was producing, <laughs> that I was a producer. <laughs> so, you know, that's where we're at with, um, a, the thing that's interesting is I, took, I started taking a uh, producer class this year, and I had been resisting it for three years. Is this CTI by any chance? No, it's called PDMP, Producer Mentorship Program, okay. Development Program. And I, the owner, Bob Owls, kept being like, I saw Non-Equity the Musical. I thought it was amazing. I really think you should do this producer workshop. And I'm like, I don't want to produce. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then... Surprise! I, yeah, here, I'm in the workshop. <laughs> Because Little Black Dress was happening and he said, I was, I kept asking him all these questions about, well, how, you know, I know Spank, I know a lot of these girls' night out shows, girls' night, the musical or um, late night catechism or whatever. I'm like, they make millions. Mm -hmm. So like, I want to make millions. <laughs> how much am I getting? <laughs> so, um, you know, I'd been writing for a couple years before I even knew how much a writer makes off a show which I ask my fellow collaborators and writers, and a lot of people don't know. Yeah. It blows my mind. I mean, I've been writing for years, and, like, you wouldn't... What, are you saying the percentage? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you're also... It, typically, I'll tell your your listeners, I guess, yeah. it's like, typically, if it's a musical, it's you divide it... It's 6%, yeah. and you divide it up 2%, 2%, yeah. 2%, book, lyrics, music. Yeah. But I have four... There's a, We're a team of four, so you're thinking about that. So I was like... I thought... But have they bumped it up to six? It used to be five for the longest time. I mean, it really depends on your negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard different things. Like, I've heard, some, like, people can bump Sondheim up to 10%. Yeah, oh, but, yeah, you can always negotiate for more. If right. But me not knowing yeah. anything, me just being a writer, I thought <laughs> when someone said, like, okay, they're picking up your show, that I, the writer was going to get 50% <laughs> and the producer was going to get 50 or whatever. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I wrote it. I created it. 
It wouldn't exist without me, so I should be getting 50, maybe 60 or 70. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Not even double digits? <laughs> so, um, that, so I had that meeting. Literally, that was the same conversation where I was like, how much am I going to get if this show succeeds? And he's like, I really think you should take this workshop. <laughs> so um, I started taking the workshop and um, just educating myself on how to produce a show and what goes into it. And I think the interesting thing about... Um, Little Black Dress is, and it was Spank as well, is most shows do this off-Broadway run and you're dumping in hundreds of thousands of dollars to do an off-Broadway run, which people don't make money. It's so expensive to rent a theater off-Broadway that you're not making money, but they're hoping that the life after is where you make the money. So I was like, why do we even need that step? Because I know our audience Mm -hmm. is like Dubuque, Iowa, and Missouri, and Kansas, and Florida. These women who like, this is the event of the year. Not New York, where they can go see Wicked, or you know, Hamilton. Why would you go see Little Black Dress? You're in New York for a night, or whatever. So we're trying to like break the mold and try to do something different, but what you're saying is you have to ha- kind of have all of a sudden a business hat on and think, what's the best path for my show to succeed? So yeah. <laughs> and you and have you felt have you felt this has been liberating creatively as well or confining creatively? You know, I think I don't love the business side. I. But do you feel the business side has hampered your creativity? Um, no, I think it's separate. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, then that's the important point I'm trying to say is it doesn't have to, right, and make actually, you less of an artist because you're taking on business. You're right. It is only adding, and honestly, it is helpful because now I'm on these phone calls where we're talking about budgets and something I never thought I'd be on the call for, and they're saying, okay, we need a costume designer. I'm like, we don't need a costume designer. They're wearing little black dresses. That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm like we don't need to pay someone you know and all of a sudden we're thinking about okay um the set what are we gonna do for the set and I'm like no everything is gonna be soft goods a curtain like because I learned that if the show is really good and the content is good it ultimately comes down to that in the story of these girls and the comedy songs and the laughs and the in the great time and we want to be able to get this show up and on its feet and people don't want to pay the cost of what it would be for an expensive set and expensive lights and expensive costumes. We want to be able to say, you can put us up anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. we w- will make it work. So now all of a sudden, as the writer, <laughs> you start thinking, okay, um, so do we need to have, you know, this originally I think there was a scene with like these door frames and we're like there's no more door frames like we don't need doors (laughs) we don't need doors for one scene and that scene got cut so it didn't even matter but we start you start thinking about in your own writing about how how can we do this for the kind of show we're going to be mounting because I think a lot of times as writers we're just looking at the story and the script and like how can I tell this story and but we're not thinking about like okay when it's actually up what is like because now i'm on the producer yeah. side i'm a producer on it is what is what are the dollars how is it actually <laughs> like we're gonna make this tangibly happen you know 
All right. Well, I wish you all the best as you tour over the U.S. shortly. Yeah, get us with some little Montana, black dress. would you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for it's, having me. It is littleblackdressthemusical.com, right? Yeah, littleblackdressthemusical.com. If your theater is interested in having a crazy girls' night out, you want high drink sales, you want a sexy man stripping, this is the show for you. Yeah. And you want to laugh your butt off. This, that's like the main thing. All right. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Talking the Trades. I am here in Ken Davenport's lovely new digs with an awesome view of uh, Times Square and some bright neon signs. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, good to have you on again because now you've written a book. And it's not just a collection of blog articles, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> my first book, I cheated. I, just put, I put my blogs in a book form. But no, this one's a full-on book. So it's how to succeed in the arts or in anything. Yeah, so it's really here. the story of how I got started. You know, I, I answer that question a lot on yeah. podcasts like this and interviews like this. And uh, I decided to not only write down how I got started, but what I do, frankly, every day to try to keep going mm -hmm. uh, in a business and in an industry that can at sometimes do everything it can to get in your way from, yeah. from moving forward. You hustle. I definitely know, you know, from way back when during Nymph and Alter Boys and stuff that you hustle <laughs> and you look for new ideas and ways yeah. to... There's a great quote that Jimmy Niederlander Jr. said. I, I used to have it hanging up on my bulletin board when I got started <laughs> and one of my favorites and it said... Uh, if they won't let you in the front door, go down the chimney. <laughs> and I think that's a lot about how you have to approach not only the arts and theater and Broadway for sure, but, but any business. Is just keep banging away at the front door, and if they won't let you in, figure out another way to get in that room. Yeah. So uh, what prompted you for and I, to make this a book rather than like your collection of blog posts? Because I know from reading your producer's perspective blog, you're very excited. Like, I knew I was going to do one. I wanted to do a book, so... It, it's one of those things that I had always said, I, someday I want to write a book. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't know, everyone I think feels they've got a book in them or something in them. And one day I was telling the story and I, someone said, oh, that sounds like a book. And I was like, oh, maybe it is. So I just started writing one chapter at a time, one page at a time. In fact, how I wrote the book is a lot about what I believe achieving success in any business is about small, slow mm -hmm. sometimes, but steady steps getting to where you're you're trying to go. So you got a you're working on some exciting future stuff. You got some stuff going on now. You just wrapped up some big projects, so got a little bit to talk about. And I'm definitely really excited about Once on This Island, which you are the lead producer on, right? That's right. Yeah, one of the it's one of my all time favorite musicals. I mean, I got to interview Flaherty, Aaron's and Flaherty, a while ago, and that just like you know made my decade and uh, I'm so excited to see somebody bringing this back and I'm wondering like uh, but I know that and, it, and even then and I don't think it's changed a small intimate musical you know on Broadway is a challenge I think to convince people it's Broadway right <laughs> yeah it's a it's a small intimate show but it's got so much to say and such a mm -hmm. massive heart to it that I think it's a lot bigger than anyone can ever imagine. And so many people love it, including me. It was one of the first shows that I ever saw when I moved to New York City. And I just remember being blown away 
and floating home. <laughs> I walked home that night because I was so excited about it in 1991, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's got it's a it's a big big show. May not have yeah. 50 cast members in it, and you know a, a sinking ship or a chandelier or any of that stuff. But uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. And if I remember correctly, you just locked up Circle in the Square. We did, for, yeah. Which is an awesome location for this show. That is like a perfect match. Yeah, look, I'm a big <laughs> believer in making sure your location, your theater, whatever it is you're doing, matches up and marries up with the story you're trying to tell. And when I was sitting down with Michael Arden and talking about the show and saying, oh, where should we go? What should we think about? It was one of the first things we said, of course, because in the round, you're on an island, the the audience will feel like they're part of this story, like they're on the island um, with the storytellers. Now, we all know there's like, and you talk about it on your uh, blog a lot, that there is this traffic jam in Broadway spaces. How do you, as a producer, how do you get all the moving parts together when you aren't sure of the date? I mean, how do you put together the directors and maybe the lead actors? And the, how do you get the team together when maybe the date is uncertain or without the theater? How do those parts fit? It's a, it's a great question because it's getting harder and harder. I often say that producing a Broadway show is trying to land the space shuttle. You know, if you watch any of those movies about landing, like they, there's like a small window that if they don't, they have to circle the Earth again. Yeah. And that's what it feels like. You get an opportunity. The theater owner calls you. First of all, just getting that call is, is such a rarity these days. And then you're like, oh, my God, I got a theater. It's great. We're happening. And then you're like, oh, shit. I hope everyone can do it. Yeah. Now, there is obviously Broadway opportunities are so rare that people tend to figure it out. <laughs> but it's a hard thing. I mean, I'm, I'm in... I'm actually my other show, getting the band back together, is getting very, very close to be able to say we're we're coming into yeah. town, and it's challenging even yeah. even far out in advance to find the director, the choreographer, and the names and say, hey, can we all do this? Because look, everyone has to earn a living. Yeah, they book shows year out, especially in demand people. So it's a challenge, and it can be very frustrating, and also. One of the things that the traffic jam has done is, I think, is some things are, this is where mistakes are made, mm -hmm. because sometimes you get a call, and I think in the last several years, there have been a couple opportunities that people have taken that maybe they shouldn't have taken. You know, I've actually had myself, I was offered a chance for getting the band back together, uh, specifically mm -hmm. to be on Broadway a couple years ago, and I actually passed. Because I didn't feel like it was the right chance. There were too many things. It wasn't enough time to build a proper marketing campaign. The space just didn't feel exactly right for yeah. us. And look, it's a lot of money. You only get one shot at Broadway. So sometimes you have to be willing to say, you know what? This isn't the right chance. When it's mm -hmm. the right opportunity, uh, I'll, I'll take it. Have you ever had, because you don't, you not only work you know, as a lead producer, but you also work as associate producer with other productions like the Tony-nominated Groundhog's Day. Have you ever been involved in a production that has had to lose, like a significant creative, like a director or choreographer, because of scheduling conflicts and, and like I said, that that shuttle landing that you're talking about? That's a good question. Yeah, I've been look. I've been a lead producer on a half a dozen or so shows, and then produced. Mm -hmm. I've been a co-producer on a whole bunch more. And I'm trying to think if we've ever lost anyone. 
No, there have been some cases though where I've had to rejigger some mm-hmm. schedules in order to make that work. Uh, and Godspell, we had to adjust that schedule slightly mm-hmm. because Chris Catelli, who choreographed it, mm-hmm. who I had done three shows yeah. with before that, I think. Uh, and I did it, you know, and we had to do it. And I actually think it cost me a little money, but mm-hmm. it was Chris Catelli for God's yeah. sakes. Like I'm, I'm going to make sure that I have mm-hmm. that guy. So. Usually you figure it out. Um, you know, there have been, I think, a couple cases where we haven't been able to go forward with certain actors, but, uh, but nothing comes to mind specifically other than that. Now, you just had a big production, and I love the show. I mean, uh, you know, in its own way, I thought it was as big. The last trip I made here where I saw Hamilton and Daddy Longlegs, I saw two of my new favorite shows. I mean, and on two different spectrums. Hamilton is... Huge brig and Beth but Daddy Longlegs just was chilling. I mean, in a very good way, you know. Uh, and I'm wondering, how did that work? As a in hindsight, now that everything's passed, was that off Broadway a good move for it? Because we all, you know, I know you're discussing on your blog a lot how off Broadway has been struggling for a while to be something other than a novelty factory. Yeah, off Broadway is a very challenging market these days, even more so than it was 10 years ago. And it was challenging 10 years ago when I really started to get, when I broke, look, I started, you know, as a company manager and general manager in big Broadway musicals. So I managed Thoroughly Modern Millie and Gypsy with Bernadette and worked on the original company Ragtime. So I came from this big Broadway world, but when I started producing, I started producing off-Broadway with Alter Boys Mm. and Awesome 80s Prom. And uh, it was hard then. And it's harder now. You know, I tell people, if you're looking to produce your show off-Broadway these days, either it has to be so unbelievably unique and different that it can't exist on Broadway. Sleep no more, these kind of things, right? Or you have to make sure you can have another plan, another step, another model, whether that's this is going to be a springboard to Broadway, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a great reason to go to off-Broadway. Some of the biggest hits, including Hamilton. Yeah. A chorus line, Rent. Even once. Didn't like, Dear Evan Hansen started exactly. second stage. So many shows start off Broadway first, a whole bunch of Pulitzer Prize winners. So that's certainly a model. Uh, it's a great way in the theater crunch. That's how to get attention from. But a lot of those still that you're mentioning have been the, I, I would dare say that the nonprofit off Broadway model is very different than the commercial producer's for profit model. Mm-hmm. Well, I, what I think is going to happen is that what I tell people now is your off-Broadway model may not be, oh, I'm going to run here for five years and make a lot of money, mm-hmm. is to almost think about it like the nonprofit model. Hey, mm-hmm. this may be a bit of a loss leader mm-hmm. in the hope of getting the attention of a Broadway theater owner, whereas you may not be able to get their attention any other way. This goes especially for new writers and new producers getting into the business that don't have the political connections to get into the Schubert offices down the block, right? But you do a show... Go the chimney. Right, exactly. (laughs) No chimney there. Uh, But do your show off-Broadway commercially, get a great New York Times review, get everyone running to see it, and all of a sudden you may get the attention of the theater owners and be able to get that meeting. Uh, or in the case of Daddy Longlegs, like we always knew that licensing would be mm-hmm. huge for that show because it had already been done London, Japan twice. So I knew that, okay, if we get it up here, the licensing will actually explode. 
And it's been done all over. And if you look back at the things I did on Daddy Long Legs, mm-hmm. including the live stream. Yeah, that was. That, part of that was, this is a way to get this to the licensing market. So everything had that goal in mind. Well, obviously, I was focused on how can I recoup it? How can I recoup it? I told all my investors, was very honest, like, mm-hmm. this is challenging. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we're going to do things in the hopes of getting licensing income afterwards. And so that's yeah, going proven, very well. Very effective. Well. I, I will put out another blurb saying anybody has a good male singer and a good female singer actor, you know, both, which who doesn't have two? Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's written by the guy who wrote Les Mis. We won the drama desk for, yeah. uh, for or directed Les Mis. We won the drama desk for best mm. book of a musical. It's yeah, Daddy Longleg. I mean, in. Look, I will also tell you that Broadway HD, we just cut a deal with them, so you'll be able to see that original production okay. on Broadway HD as of June 10th. Right. But I do still find it's, that, it's a, that it's a shame that something like that, which is, is like a perfectly suited, like, Daddy Long Legs to me is what Off-Broadway is there for. You know, and, and the fact that it is so hard to make that just a commercial game in its own right in New York, I and I see people talking about, oh, I wish the you know the off Broadway game was what it was like, healthy like it was ten years ago. But I interviewed you ten years ago, and, and I'm like, that was the same argument then as you know ten years ago and twenty years ago, yeah, maybe so, yeah. twenty five. The, there was this golden age when you know it was when I moved to the city and I saw and the world goes round. Mm. You know, Susan Stroman had yeah. you know choreographed this thing and. Uh, Nonsense was yeah. playing. Forever Plaid was playing. There were all those theaters on Ruthless, the right? Man. But that's just not the case anymore. And one of the reasons that it is that way is because the Big Brother has gotten a lot more popular. Broadway mm. is the brand has increased and gotten so popular that the Little Brother can't get the attention anymore mm. because everyone wants to come to town and see a Broadway show now. Yeah. Thirteen new musicals this season. Is that what it was? Yeah, uh, like, the last couple months. And I and I dare say none of them felt from the reviews. I mean, I'm in Montana, but none of them felt like outright flops. No, it was the box wasn't. office. All seemed rather healthy. The reviews good. And, this was yeah. one of the best seasons I've ever seen on Broadway. To have Dear Evan Hansen come from away, Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. Natasha Pierre, yeah. like all these shows out there. Been incredible. It's been really something that and doing well. And we just, as of today, posted a, you know another record-breaking year, gross-wise. All right. Well, I thank you so much for spending the time talking to me. Once in the Silence in October is that right? November 9th. November ninth. Yes, and opens December. November 9th previews. Oh, I'm gonna have to wait till there. next May. I'm here in October again. Uh-huh. And your book, How to Succeed in the Arts or in Anything, and. Uh, other things on the plate? Go see Groundhog's Day. It's a Go lot of fun. Go see Groundhog Day. Go see Play That Goes Wrong. Keep your eye open for getting the band back together. And uh, just check out the blog if you're interested in any of the other stuff we do. All right. Thanks again. My pleasure. Listening Room. We got another song here from songwriter Bobby Cronin. Oh, one thing, too. and It's a great company, and this is a great program that you might want to check out. But one of his many accomplishments is he was one of the four NEO writers for the York Theatre Company in the 2014-2015 season. Um, Stephen Flaherty was his mentor for that. I love Stephen Flaherty. Uh, When I got to interview them, check out. There's a great interview with Flaherty and Aaron's in the past. Search it. But in any case, one of 
many great accomplishments for Bobby Cronin, and check out the York Theatre Company. In the meantime, here's another song from Reach for the Sky Live. This one is called Move On, sung by the incomparable Natalie Weiss. It's time to get past the life that I lost, the dreams that are gone, the tides that are tossed. It's time to go forward and lock all the doors. It's over, he's gone. It's time to move on. It's time to move onward and upward and swim back upstream and finally believe that deceit is your passion. So it's time to move on. Time to move on. I have to stop hoping that the past isn't true, that the truth would be told, but there's no truth in you. I'll open the floodgates and Bobby Cronin, that was Move On, sung by Natalie Weiss. Find out more at bobbycronin.com. Curtain Call. Well, it is that time again. All good things must come to an end. But we're going to be back again for you September 12th with another all-new episode. In that episode, we're going to hear from the Lazur brothers about their 
musical in progress. We live in Cairo. We're going to hear about the marathon of one-act plays that's going on by EST. And James Barber, the current Phantom of the Opera, the 15th Phantom on Broadway, I believe, is going to talk about so many different things. Uh, I always love getting the chance to talk to him. And he's got a lot more to share. So that's all coming up. In the meantime, uh, before we say goodbye, I'd like to give one more thanks again to our sponsors. Thanks again so much to the Dramatist Guild Fund, that's dgfund.org, for providing such an incredible space to interview everybody. It uh, really makes uh, me look like a rock star when I get to bring them into these fancy old school showroom digs. And that room is available to members. Uh, they let it out to for parties, for uh, fundraising, for readings, for workshops, just to get together and have a room to write in sometimes when you need. Um, they provide great services to uh, writers and such when they need a boost financially or going through rough times. I really encourage joining or supporting the Dramatist Guild Fund. And I tell you personally, everybody in that office, they are just great people. Um, and also, again, thanks to the University of Providence um, and my program, the Theater and Business Arts Program. Check it out at uprovidence.com or uh, more information at broadwaybullet.com. Uh, yeah, they're making this possible for me to go out there and uh, keep bringing this to you. And in fact, I get to bring out a student or two every time I go out now. So, um, yeah, hope to see some of you checking it out. Learn the art of being an artist and the business of being an artist. With that, we will say goodbye until September 12th.